Jesus, the eternal word. That's our message. And you can't help to see as you read through this, and I pray that you are reading through this book. I pray that you're reading ahead. I challenged you last week to maybe sit down and read the entire gospel in one sitting. It's a wonderful thing if you can do that. Um, but if you can spend time in this this word, it will it would re- re- reveal Christ to you in a whole new way. That's the purpose of the entire book. And so you see how John has this overwhelming task of really talking about the deity of Jesus Christ. Uh, he has this overwhelming task of explaining to us the God-man, God in a bod, Jesus incarnate. And he does so in very, so very few words. Uh, it's pretty amazing because the deity of, of Christ is a very, very basic, it's very foundational, it's a profound doctrine to the Christian faith. If you get this wrong, you don't have anything. And so it's, it's very important that we understand who Jesus is, and the deity of Christ is a very basic um, doctrine that we need to grasp. And there's several lines of of biblical evidence that flow together to prove conclusively here in the beginning that he is the word of God, that he is God. And clearly John was writing these very few words of God as he was used by the Holy Spirit. He just didn't come up with this on his own. He was moved by the Holy Spirit. This was direct revelation through this apostle to us Uh, through John, to communicate to us the truths about Jesus Christ, to communicate to us the truths about who Jesus Christ is. Uh, John MacArthur, in his commentary, he lists several evidences, and we're not going to go into them in depth, but I I thought they were well put and and well worth noting. And so if you want to write these down, you can. There's several evidences of Christ's deity that are just listed out throughout the Scripture. And he kind of summarizes it all. And first of all, he says, the direct statements of Scripture is an evidence that affirm that Jesus is God. There's direct statements in Scripture that talk about Jesus as God. Right here, the opening verses of the gospel declares that the word Jesus was God. It's pretty, pretty plain and simple. In John's gospel, over and over again, he uses the, word, the words I am to describe himself. Jesus does. This is a, 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 a way of speaking of divinity. This is speaking of God. He had no beginning, no end. He just is. Uh, he claimed to be in one nature, in essence, with the Father in chapter 10, verse 30. And, um, you know, you can tell that the crowd understood what he said by their reaction because they thought, wow, how offensive is that? He's claiming to be God. And yet Jesus didn't say, oh, is that what you thought I meant? I didn't mean it. He didn't ex- explain himself. He didn't, he didn't give an uh, apology. No, he said, no, I meant exactly what I said. I am God. Nor did he correct Thomas when Thomas addressed him and he said, my Lord and my God. If, if Jesus wouldn't have been God, surely he would have said, hey, wait a minute. You, you can't call me God. I'm just a human being like you are. Um, but what's he do? He praises him in chapter 20 of John, verse 29, for his faith. So Jesus doesn't correct him when people call him God. And in uh, Philippians, Philippians 2, 6, it says, Jesus existed in the form of God, possessing absolute equality with God. It tells us that. In Colossians 
chapter 2, verse 9, Paul writes this, For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So he's speaking of Jesus. In Romans 9, 5, Paul refers to Christ, and he says, he refers to Christ as the God blessed forever. He directly calls him God blessed forever. In 2 Peter 1, 1, he's called our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God the Father addressed him as the Son of God. In Hebrews 1, 8, he said, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and your righteous scepter is a scepter of his kingdom. And in 1 John, John's first epistle, chapter 5, verse 20, he refers to Jesus Christ as the true God. So over and over and over again, you see constant reference to who Christ is. But not only that, but secondly, John MacArthur says, not only do you see Scripture calling him God, but secondly, you see titles that Scripture uses elsewhere given only to God, which are given to Jesus Christ. There are certain titles that Scripture refers to God as. And Jesus himself, as I already said, uh, called himself the I am, which is definitely a, a reference to uh, God. In John 12, 40, he, he quotes Isaiah 6, 10, in which the, the passage refers Isaiah's vision to referring to God. And uh, he says in verse 41, these things Isaiah said because he saw his, Christ's, glory, and he spoke of him. So over and over again, there's certain titles that are given. Just to name a few of these titles, obviously the Lord Yahweh is given to Christ, but also you see God and Jesus both called shepherds. God and Jesus both called judge. God and Jesus both referred to as the first and the last. Uh, both referred to as light. Both referred to as Lord of the Sabbath. Both referred to God the Father and God the Son as Savior, both referred to as uh, the pierced one, mighty God, the Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, Lord of glory, Redeemer, on and on and on it goes. Scripture gives titles to Christ that should only be given to God. So it's affirming the deity of Christ. And thirdly, not only do we see how scriptural statements portray Christ as God, but the titles given to him, but thirdly, Jesus Christ possesses the attributes of God. Those gods that can only be unique to God. Now, there are some attributes that we can have that God possesses, right? We can be holy, okay? We can live righteously, things like that. Um, but here, Scripture refers to Christ as being eternal. We're going to see a little bit of that last week, and we saw, we'll see a little more today. It refers to <clears throat> Christ as being omnipresent, it refers to Christ as being omniscient. He knows everything. It refers to Christ as being omnipotent, all-powerful, immutable, unchangeable. It refers to Christ as being sovereign, as being glorious. All those things are references to God, but Scripture also references those same characteristics, those attributes, those incommunicable attributes, we call them. In other words, we can't possess these attributes. Only God can. We can't be omnipotent, or God wouldn't be. <laughs> we can't be everywhere at one time. We, we're not all-knowing. Uh, we change. We're not sovereign. And so it's important to, to realize that these things are attributes of God, but they're referred to as being attributes of Christ as well. Fourthly, Jesus Christ does the works that only God can do. 
when you look throughout Scripture, there are certain works, miracles that Jesus does that only God would be able to do. And in the Jewish faith, they understand that. There are certain things that God can only do. God can, is the only one that creates. We can't create. God can. Now, we can take the stuff that God has created and kind of manipulate it and make something out of it. But we can't create from nothing. It's like, you know, the, the uh, farmer who was, I guess he was a, uh, agnostic, whatever, he was arguing with God one time out in his field. And, and he said, you know, I don't know what the big deal about you, God, is, you know, I can, I can create just like you create. And so God took him up on the challenge. And so the farmer started to till the, the, the seed into the dirt. And God spoke down from heaven and said, hey, get your own dirt. I created that dirt. You go get your own, you know. And it spoke to the farmer's heart, clearly, right? So sometimes we think we create, but we don't. God is the only creator. He created all things. He sustains creation, the Bible says, by his hand. He raises the dead. We see that throughout the Gospels. He forgives sin. That's when when Jesus forgave people's sin, the the Pharisees, the religious elite of Jesus' day, what happened? They had a fit. Who does this man think he is forgiving sin? Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. I am God. Uh, So it it forgives sin. And also the Bible refers to his word standing forever. His word is eternal. Fifthly, not only does he do, do the works that God can only do. Fifthly, Jesus received worship. Jesus Christ received worship. Even though he taught... Over and over again, Jesus taught this very profound truth. He said that only God is to be worshipped. You don't worship money. You don't worship the things of this world. He, he made that very plain, very simple. And Scripture also records that both holy men and holy angels, when people tried to worship them, what did they do? They said, hey, no, you don't worship us. You worship God and God alone. And yet Jesus received worship from people. What does that tell you? He was claiming to be God. Because he is God. And then finally, he not only received worship, but he received prayer. um, Which is only to be addressed to God. You don't pray to a tree. You don't pray to a bird or your dog. Who do you pray to? You pray to God. Right? He is the only source of our who we pray to. And so the evidence is clearly point that, that Jesus Christ not only claimed to be God, God in the flesh, the Son of God, but that he actually was God. And he is God. Okay? And so I just thought I'd share those with you as we in, introduce once again this text. And it's, it's important, I think, to read the scriptures uh, when we study them. So I'd ask if you could just stand for a moment as I read John 1, 1 to 5. And you say, are you going to read it again? I'm like, yes, I am, because this is what we're studying. And, you know, this helps you stay up to, up to par with what we're going into. So he says there in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Father, we pray that you would bless these words to our heart this morning as we continue in our study of John's teaching on the deity of Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
as you read through that, that verse, hopefully you see what I see. You see the, the preexistence of God. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, in other words, before anything was created, Christ was. He's eternal. He wasn't born. He was born incarnate. But even before he had a human body, he was still God in a different form. And he is eternal. So he is, he's not only pre-existent, but he's co-existent. Look at what it says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was what? With God. That's very important. Um, you know, it's not saying that Jesus was the only God there is. He's saying, you know what? Jesus is, was, was the word, and the word was with God, indicating that not that there's more than one God, but it indicates the truth of what we call the Trinity. You have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're not three gods. They're one God. Distinct personages. And he coexisted. That's why it said with God. He was with God. And then the self-existence of God. You see it there. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. In other words, Jesus was not made. He was the one that made everything. And so we're going to get into that today. But we're going to look at here his purpose. We've looked at his, we're, we're, we're talking about Jesus' relationship to God in all things here in the first five verses. And in verses 1 to 2, he talked about Jesus is the eternal word of God. And so far we've looked at his preexistence, his position, his person. And today we want to look at his purpose. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, or God was the Word. And down in verse 14, it clearly gives a mark of identification here. The Word became flesh. In other words, well, how do you know that's Jesus? Well, the Word became flesh. That's pretty obvious. And dwelt among us. What other part of the Trinity did that? None. Only God, the Son. And we saw his glory, glorious of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. And there's a lot of different writings that have been authored on, on the word of Logos and what that means. And we went into that uh, last week. But by using and referring to Jesus as the word, he's clearly, John is clearly defining and referencing his purpose. In, in Genesis, you find words like, and God said. That's the word, the word of God. God is saying words. Or in Psalm 33, verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Or in verse, uh, verse 9, he repeats it of Psalm 33. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. So it's speaking what? To the word of God. The word of God has power. And so he's referring to Christ as the word. Or in Psalm 107, verse 20, the psalmist writes, He sent his word and healed them. He sent his word and healed them. See, God, God's word accomplishes the purpose for which God has sent it forth. This is why it's so important to study the word of God. Study the word of God. Um, that's, that's how God works in your life. There is creative power in the word of God. And Jesus is the word. And so when John calls Jesus the word, he means that God has spoken to us. He's revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, the eternal creator of all things. 
Uh, it's very important that we understand that when he, when, when the beginning began, <laughs> let's say it this way, he already existed. He existed as God. He existed outside of time. Time as we know it was created. Before creation, there was no time. There was just eternity. God transcends time. That's why God can say, "Is a thousand years is one day is the Lord." You know, we don't understand that. We say, "How? What's that mean?" It means, "Hey, I don't deal with that stuff." Uh, God sees yesterday, today, and and tomorrow as now. He doesn't have to wait for next week. He knows everything completely, fully. He's outside of time, and he exists, Jesus, as the eternal God. He not only exists as the eternal God, but it says in verse 1, as it says in verse 1, the word was God, but he existed eternally with God. And this is what, what John is trying to dial down here. It's important that we understand that he's eternal, but we also need to understand that he is, he is distinct from the eternal God. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, there's God the Holy Spirit. And that's where we come to the understanding of God as a trinity. Here in the text, we find two. We find God and we find the Word, Jesus and the Father. I mean, how can you be God and with God? Without the Trinity, that would be impossible. Only a Trinitarian can explain that, to be God by nature and yet a distinct person who is with God. And so this shows us a couple things. As the word Jesus there in your outline reveals what the visible, invisible God is like. We don't know what God looks like. He, he is spirit, the Bible says. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 14 to 16, it says to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says this, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, listen, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. In John 1.18 it says, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God. <clears throat> who is in the, bo the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So why did Jesus send, or God send Jesus to the world so that we would see what the invisible God is like? In Luke 10.22, it says, All things have been handed over to me, Jesus says, by my Father. Listen, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father. Or who the Father is except the Son. Or anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So it, it's very important that we need Jesus to come and, and reveal what God is really like to us. That's one reason. The other thing is as the word Jesus shows our responsibility toward God. Not only does it show and reveal God to us, the invisible God to us, but it shows our responsibility towards God. In Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 2 the writer says, long ago and in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, how? By the prophets, okay, speaking of the Old Testament prophets. But in these last days, the time of Christ, it says, he has spoken to us by his son. 
God has spoken to us through Christ. And then it says, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So God the Father appointed the Son as heir of everything. And then it says this, through whom also he created the world. Think about that. If God has spoken to us through Jesus, his word, then you know what? We might want to sit up and listen and better listen to and understand and obey what Jesus says and get to know who he is. Because in John 3, 36, Jesus basically puts it out there. He says, whoever believes in the son has what? Eternal life. Whoever does not obey, obey, ties obedience into our faith. Obey the Son, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. See, to ignore God's word, to ignore God's Son, the word of God, to ignore Jesus as the word, is a very, very, very serious matter. He's not just another teacher. He's not just some good guy that came and sacrificed for the cause of others. If you ignore him, you ignore him to your eternal peril. And so in verses 1 and 2, John asserts that Jesus is the eternal word of God. He's distinct from the Father and yet equally God with the Father. The Father has spoken to us in Jesus Christ. Well, secondly... Not only is Jesus the eternal word of God, but look at what it says in verse 3. It says, all things were made through him. Someone would ask me, what does all things mean? And I remember a Bible teacher in a Bible class I had in college. Somebody asked it in the class, and he kind of laughed, and he said, all means all and that's all, all means. And we're like, oh, we got to write that down. That's so profound. All means all, and that's all, all means. See, John starts here with the fact that when you're talking about Jesus, you're talking about a preexistent, eternal God, not part of creation. He wasn't created. All things were made through him. That's the positive confession of that verse. And then he goes negative, and he says, without him was not anything made that was made. That's the negative confession. By the way, last week I mentioned that the Mormons believe, teaching in Mormonism, that they believe that Jesus is a created spirit brother of Adam and Lucifer. He's a spiritual brother of Lucifer, which is just bizarre. You're talking about the Son of God. Um, And I did a little more studying this week, and I found out that they not only believe that, but they actually believe the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible was created by another God. Small g. (laughs) Pretty crazy stuff. Yet there's a lot of people caught up in that cult. And you know what? They're nice people. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, they got it all wrong. And they're not on their way to heaven. They can feed all the people they want. They can be as nice as they want to be. That doesn't get you to heaven. When you stand before God, he's going to say, what did you do with my son, the Lord Jesus Christ? 
That's all that's going to matter at that. It's not going to matter how many times you came to church, how much you gave to the church, how many people you, you thought you saved, <laughs> you know, how many homeless you... That's not going to matter. What did you do with my son? That is the question that God is going to ask you. And that will determine whether you will spend eternity in heaven or you will spend eternity in hell. And so this is very serious speech that John is using and giving here. And I've already pointed out that everything that has come into being came into being through Jesus. He is the creator. And so if everything that's around us, everything we see, the world around us, people, the plant, everything, if God created everything, he can't be part of that creation. He's above that. He has existed eternally. He never came into being. There never was a time when Jesus wasn't. And so he says the word was God, the word, or the God was the word. He's pre-existent in time and space. And he pre-existed, he, he created. He existed before anything was ever here. He has to be God. All, all the angels, think about this, all the angels were created. Are they angelic beings? Yes. But they were created. Guess what? All the fallen angels are those created angels that rebelled and fell. They were created. And God desired to make them holy. He made them holy and they defected, they rebelled and they fell. And God cast them from heaven. And therefore the angels who fell became demons. So every angelic being is created. Every person in the universe Every person in the universe, they are created. They're a created being. The only person who's not is the creator himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't created. The Bible teaches that all three members of the Trinity were involved in creation. God the Father created everything, but how did he do it? He did it through his son, Jesus Christ. And the Spirit, what did the Spirit of God do? He participated in creation too. You can read about that in Genesis 1-2. And God himself, at the very beginning of this book, in Genesis 1, he says, let us, let us make man in our image. One God, three distinct persons. And as with the the person of Christ, it's not just a coincidence, really, that, that Satan has so strongly attacked the biblical doctrine of creation. It's almost become a second, secondary issue. Well, it doesn't matter what you believe about creation. Are you kidding me? It's the foundation of our faith. If you don't believe in creation, then you don't believe in a creator. And if you don't believe in a creator, then guess what? You don't believe in Christ. You don't believe in the Christ of the Bible, I should say. Maybe you believe in a little Jesus that you, know, you came up with in your own mind, but that Jesus is not going to save you, my friends. If God created everything that exists out of nothing but the power of his word, then I don't care what the atheists say you know, about matter. They say, oh, matter's eternal. No, it's not. God created matter. It didn't exist before God created it. Only God is eternal. And creation points us to the amazing power, not just his purpose, but the power of Christ. It shows us the intelligence. I mean, just look at what God created. It's amazing. It shows us how finite we are. 
We're limited creatures. And what are we called to do? We're called to submit. We're called to depend on our creator God for everything. So if Jesus is the creator, then he is God, which means, guess what? We're not. (laughs) We're not. We're not God. We think we are sometimes, but we're not. (laughs) There's a lot of people that think they're God all the time. They're in for a rude awakening. See, that's the fundamental lesson of life. There is a God, and you're not him. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Paul writes this, Yet yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ. And listen what it says, 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. Through Christ. Christ is the creator God. That's a very, very important point to make. Well, move on here to verse 4. Because not only does John say that he is the creator, but he moves on and he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life. It's amazing how many times John uses that word life. 36 times in his gospel. More than any of the other New Testament books, he uses the word life. D.A. Carson argues that in light of verses 1 to 3, the life inheriting, inheriting in the word is related not to salvation, but to creation. In him was life. He was the giver of life. Now, I believe it can refer to both. But you know what? Jesus Christ didn't get his life from someone. Nobody gave him his life. Because it says, in him was life. Now this, when you start to ponder these things, like I said, these are very profound thoughts. I don't expect you to go, oh yeah, I totally get it now, pastor. Because I don't totally get it. I mean, just think of eternity. How can something not have a beginning? We, we can't relate to that. When you start thinking about God being eternal and, and being eternally alive, there's never a moment when God did not exist. That's more than our puny little minds can handle. But as an essential part of his eternality, as evidenced by his creation, was life, it says. He was alive. He was the source of life. That's such a profound statement. In him was life. And the word here, by the way, in the original language, as I put there in your outline, is not bios. That's a Greek word that refers to life. It refers to what? Biological life. That's what it refers to, which is one form of life. This this is not the word there. It's zoe. And zoe has to do with spiritual life. He's speaking of spiritual life here, not just physical life. The reality of life. Think about when a little baby is born, they come into the world, they have a biological life. They're, they're human, they, they breathe, they eat, do other things we won't talk about here this morning, but you know, that's, that's part of life. And that's the functioning of the, the human body. But there's another kind of life that's, that's beyond just biology. It can't be located, it can't be found, and it's called spiritual life. You can't really see it. You can't walk around and say, oh, look, there's a Christian. How would you do that? 
They have a little C on their forehead or something? I mean, what, how do you know? Even if they tell you they're a Christian, how do you know? You can't x-ray them and, oh yeah, Jesus is in there. The Holy Spirit's in there. You can't do that. That's why Jesus says very plainly, you'll know them by their what? By their fruit. Okay, because you're not going to really know. Only God knows that. And that's where I think we have to be careful as believers not to proclaim other people as non-believers. That's not really our call. Now, we can say, hey, that person's living questionably. <laughs> you know, they're claiming to know Christ and, and look at what they're doing in their life. That's not really a Christian life. That's not the way a Christian would live. And maybe you need to go to that brother or sister and, and rebuke them or exhort them to, to examine their own life. And maybe they are a false convert. Maybe they're really not saved. We don't know. But we have to be very, very careful about proclaiming heaven and hell on people that way. We should always be gracious and yet firm with the gospel. And so it's essential that this life, that this spiritual life, Zoe, is not something that we, we can come up with ourselves. It's a life that comes from God. And um, God has the power in Christ for all kinds of, of life. But here we're talking about spiritual life. Not just bio, biological life, but spiritual life. And so when you're looking at Jesus Christ, when you look to Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, you're looking at the one who is life himself. No one gave him life. Jesus said so much, remember, when he said, I am the what? The way, the truth, and what did he say? The life. I am it. There's no, no, no other life besides this. You can't look at Christ any other way, or you're not looking at the Christ of the Bible. He is life. He is really the fundamental reality of everything that exists. And so when someone says, well, does it matter what people believe about Jesus? I mean, can they believe that, you know, he was created by some other God? And, you know, is that okay? No. I mean, they can believe that if they want, but they do it to their own peril. Because Jesus himself said, I am the only way. I'm the truth and I am the life. Everything exists because of me. It's in him we live and what? Move and have our being. We have our existence. All that exists, exists because they have life from God the Son. In him was life, John says. And then people can come up with all kinds of crazy thoughts about Jesus being created and everything else. Um, that's not what the scripture says. This is not speaking of the Jesus of the cults. This is not speaking of the Jesus of liberalism. Um, this is not speaking of, of even the Jesus of the liberation theology uh, people. This is the Jesus who is fully God, fully man, who is the means by which everything that exists, exists. It's through Christ. And not only, which is very interesting, not only did he, is he the source of everything, life, the created, creation, everything, but in Hebrews chapter 1, it seems to indicate, it says, by his power, by Christ's power, listen, he holds all things. I mean, if you ever took a science class and you, you started studying the atom, you know, and you got these electrons, you got the neutrons, you got all the stuff flying around in there, he's like, why doesn't it just... 
I mean, it kind of makes sense. You know, if you put a rock on the end of a rope and you start swinging it, what's it want to do? It wants to leave, right? If you left go of the rope, where would it go? Go that way. What holds all that stuff together? That's making up this pulpit. That's making up my body. All those things, all those molecules, all those atoms put together. What's holding it together? The Bible clearly says Christ. Christ is holding it together. And the Bible also seems to indicate one day, guess what Jesus is going to do? He's going to go, okay, I think I'm going to leave go. <laughs> and it's not going to be pretty, trust me. And that's what the Bible seems to indicate. This world as we know it, heaven and earth, will be destroyed by God. And it's when Jesus leaves go of everything. So he not only gave life, but you can say he sustains life. He sustains life. He not only created, but he sustains the creation. Why? Because in him was life. John goes on to develop the truth that Jesus came to earth to bring spiritual life. And we're going to get into this in a couple weeks. He wants, Jesus came to earth to bring spiritual life to those who are dead in their sins. The Bible describes those who are outside of Christ, those who have not been forgiven of their sin, those who have not put their faith or trust in Christ as people who are dead spiritually. They're dead. They have no means to do anything spiritually in their life. And you say, well, you know, that's not true because I know friends that aren't Christians and they'll go to the the church and light a little candle and that's something spiritual. Let me say it this way. They have no means of doing anything spiritual spiritual that is of any spiritual value to God. (laughs) They may think something big about that, but that doesn't mean squat to God. Because God says you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. Have you ever thought of that? I mean, you may feel alive. You may be sitting here, you're breathing, you're thinking, well, I don't feel dead. But spiritually, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you are dead. You don't have that relationship with God. You may think you do, but you're not. You're dead. And it's just like when you go to a viewing and they open the casket and there lies the dearly beloved. You know, they're laying there in the casket and the body's dead. And you have to wonder, wow, is, you know, are they ever going to talk again? No, they're dead. Are they ever going to open their eyes? No, they're dead. Will they ever have another thought? No, they're dead. This body is dead. It's a tent. It's something we possess for a period of time that God has granted it to us here on the, on the earth. And the Bible says it's appointed unto men once, what? To die. It's appointed. We all have an appointment with death. I mean, we may not like to talk about this. It may not be comfortable. But we all do. And only God knows when that appointment comes. And that's why we don't know the day, the hour, right? We don't know when Christ is coming back. We don't know when we may go be with him. And that's why John's words are so important. Because, see, if you don't understand who Christ is, if you don't understand who the only Savior who can save you is, and you have yet to submit to him, there's no hope for you. It's not like there's a back door. You know, it's not like Vanna White standing in front. Well, which door do you want to, you know, open up today? Or I guess it wasn't Vanna White, whoever that lady was. Carol Barrow or whatever her name was, you know, uh, on the talk show or the game show. Let's make a deal. That's what it was called. I couldn't think of it. Let's make a deal. You know, would you like door one, door two, or door three? Oh, I'll go with door two, you know. And then, you know, it's some stupid little baseball hat or something. Um, 
you know, when we stop and think about it, that's not how it's going to work. It's going to be, what did you do with Christ? It's all focused on Christ. And so if you're dead in your trespasses and sin, what Jesus says is, I will give you life. If you come to me for life, you will, you will, you will, you will be given a life that never dies. He talks about being thirsty. You know, there's a lot of people in our world today, even though you know, the world is kind of falling apart, there's a lot of people in our world today, I'm very, very, I, I believe this very firmly, that they are desiring truth. They are. They're getting tired of people lying to them. Whether it's religious or whether it's whatever, they're just sick of it. And you know what? I've seen people, when you tell them the truth, when you tell them, sorry, I'm seeing lights and sirens. <laughs> when you tell them you know, the truth, you can see sometimes the light goes on. It's like, wow, that sounds true. Well, it's because it is. And there's some people that God opens their heart to the truth. And what happens? They come to Christ. And they, they believe, wow, I was really dead. I couldn't, I, I, heard, I knew this stuff about Jesus before, but you know what? It was like it didn't matter. But now, all of a sudden, I have a, a renewed vigor in my life to, to know God more, to study his word more. This is called spiritual life. There's people in this very room who are saying, yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I've asked people, hey, so do you, do you read the Bible? Do you study the Bible? Well, not too much. You know, I'm not really into that. Spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. Because there's no desire. The Bible says a newborn believer should be like a little baby who craves the mother's milk. They desire to be taught. They desire to learn. They desire to grow. And those of you who are Christians today understand what I'm talking about because you've gone through it. You came to a point in your life where you surrendered your life to Christ. You were born again. You were saved. You were transformed by the glory of God. And all of a sudden you realize, wow, I can't get enough of this. And there's a, there's a kind of a renewed, just a hunger that it, it can't be satisfied. And unfortunately, sometimes, the longer you know Christ, all of a sudden you get kind of, maybe I should go to Bible study. I've heard it before. And you grow cold, the Bible explains. You, you grow cold. You, you almost grow callous to the truth. And you, you, you just take it for granted. You know, when you go to a foreign country and, and you realize, I mean, even in India, when we were in India, and I'm, I remember talking to these pastors, teaching these pastors, we took them through the fundamentals of the faith and, and the, the workbook, and, and I remember they were just so excited to have this thing in their own language. And, um, you know, we had a translator and we were teaching them these concepts and and sometimes I would refer to, well, you know, in so-and-so's book, and they just look at me like, what are you talking about? We ain't got that book. <laughs> Can we get that book? What book are you talking about? They got their Bible. That's all they got. And a lot of them are not educated. They're just relying on the, on the Spirit of God to give them something to teach their congregations every week. They don't have a, a Bible software program or commentaries or a library. They can go. They have Nothing. Nothing. They're completely dependent on God. And you know what? God is doing an incredible work through them. And see, this is where we need to not take for granted all the resources. I mean, it's, it's a blessing, right, to be able to go to a computer and type in the word life. And, well, 36 times in the Gospel of John. I don't have to go through and, well, let's see, one, two, three. You used to have to do it that way. But no longer. Very efficient. 
And yet, with that efficiency comes kind of a laziness, I think. And we need to guard against that. And so he not only gave us life, but he sustains us. And it says that Christ came to earth to bring spiritual life to those who are dead in their sins. We're all that way. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul, Paul puts it this way. Um, see, if, if you're in spiritual darkness, it's, it's, when you're born again, it's kind of like somebody turns the light on. And you are, for the first time, able to see you and able to see God in the proper perspective. In, in 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 4, verse 4, Paul, referring to those who are perishing, he's referring to those who are lost, he says this in verse 4, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Don't get frustrated with your unbelieving friends when you tell them the gospel and they don't, oh, yeah, I want to come to Christ. I want to come to church. No, you know, don't get frustrated with them when they rebuff you and say, yeah, I'm not interested in that. You know, they're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. I've said this a million times. They're what? They're victims of the enemy. Big difference. You know, if you ever, ever watch those cop shows, you know, sometimes they show up and there's a, a dispute or something, a fight. I watched one the other night, and they, they put these two people in handcuffs. And the people are shouting, they're, going, they're the victims! What are you doing? You know, the, 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 the criminals are getting away. Right? Sometimes we confuse the issue. You see, unbelieving people are victims of the enemy. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. It says to keep them from seeing, listen, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then in verse 6, he says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, talking about believers, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So it's very important that we understand that Jesus is the creator, he's the author of life, um, and Everything that is around us is a result of him. Finally, the fourth point there, Jesus is the only source of true light in the spiritually dark world. Verse 5. Look at what it says. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, Catalambano is the original language there. Catalambano for overcome. And it can actually have two meanings. Um, much like our word, if, we, if you think of the word grasp, you know, like, wow, I'm, I'm going to grasp this microphone, I'm going to grab a hold of this microphone, or, wow, that, that's hard to grasp, right? It could mean laying a hold of something, or it could mean not understanding or understanding something. It can mean comprehend, to grasp something mentally. So if it refers to creation, then John's meaning is basically when God said, let there be light, it overcame the darkness. If you, in other words, when you turn the light on in a dark room, what happens? The darkness every time will lose. It's not like there's a struggle, you know. It's not like there's a little bit of light. No, you turn a light on, it's like, wow, the darkness is gone. This is what he's saying. But John here uses the present tense which probably most likely focuses on Jesus' coming to earth and the conflict that Jesus was going to experience between him and the powers of darkness that unfold against the gospel in this world. 
I mean, you think about it, Jesus came to be the light of the world, to be the Savior of the world. What did they do? They crucified him. (laughs) They hung him on a cross. But guess what? That's not where he stayed. That's why our cross does not have Jesus hanging there, because he's not there anymore. The Bible says he was buried, and on the third day, what? He rose victorious over sin and death. That should give us a little bit to look forward to. His salvation conquers the spiritual darkness that's in every human heart. It has that potential when they trust Christ. Your heart, as the Bible describes it right now, is desperately wicked. (laughs) You know, even somebody sweet next to you sitting there, their heart is wicked. The Bible says so. Desperately wicked. Some of you go, oh, maybe I'll move. Well, yours is wicked too. I got news for you. So you're not going to move very far. <laughs> but see, when we come to Christ, what does, what does the Bible says? God gives us new heart. He transforms our heart. In other words, our hearts are so wicked and so evil, God can't really even... <laughs> okay, well, I'm just going to give you a new one. It's like when some people go, we had a, a pastor here, Pastor Westgate. He, he's a pastor that from my hometown and lives out here on the west coast he taught here one time but he had a heart transplant and he's a he's a twin brother and he had an heart issue and um he actually went to stanford and they gave him a brand they gave him somebody's heart somebody died in an automobile accident or whatever and he got a brand new heart and he's still alive today it's just amazing that you can do that well god did that spiritually for us um but the word also can can kind of Come to understand, comprehend, uh, understand, to grasp. Because if you look down at verse 10, a little further down in the chapter, and this is why I think it has to do with both, they couldn't comprehend that you know, Christ when he came, he turned the light on and all the darkness was gone, it over, couldn't overcome it, but also spiritually. Because down in verse 10, it's interesting, it says, he was in the world and the world was made through him. And then it says this, yet the world did not what? Know him. They didn't know him, even though he made everything. They, didn't, he, they, they couldn't comprehend him. In verse 11, look at what it says in verse 11. It says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Same word, they didn't comprehend it. They couldn't get it. And Jesus points out in 3.19 and 20 that those in the darkness love the darkness, and they hate the light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Think about it. Bad things happen at night. They happen at night for a reason, because it's dark. You know, nothing good happens after 10 p.m. in my mind. Or in my mind, 8, because I'm usually, I go to bed at 8. But anyway, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, you know, I'm up at 3 or 4, but uh, it's kind of an important thing to realize that. And, and, and people love darkness because their deeds are evil. And so it, it really is saying they, they can't comprehend Jesus. They can't understand Jesus. Because sinners walk in darkness, they, they cannot comprehend. They fail to see who Jesus really is. They're blinded. In John eight twelve, it says, again, Jesus spoke to them. And he says, I am the light of the world. Look at what he says. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. You want to get out of the darkness? What's he saying? Follow me. Follow Christ. That's what he's saying. 
And if you don't walk in darkness, what's he say? But we'll have the light of life. A little later on in the chapter, in verse 48, the religious leaders actually accuse Jesus of having a demon. That's how blind they are. After they saw him raise people from the dead. After they saw him miraculous heal people. Give people back their sight. They said, oh, he's got a demon. So perhaps, you know, John's usage here of these terms means both. The darkness will not overcome the light as it comes through Christ, but also that the darkness cannot comprehend the light. This is something that we forget. You can't comprehend the light unless Jesus opens up your blind eyes. Because why? You are dead spiritually. You're dead spiritually. And in John's view, as we'll find out, darkness represents sin. It's a world of unbelief. And it says that the light of Jesus is shining in the darkness, and the darkness did not understand it. It did not comprehend it. Look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Down to verse 11, he came to his own. He, you, know, you see it over and over and over again. They didn't comprehend it. They couldn't appropriate it, would be another translation. And you see really here that the world that was made by Christ cannot understand who Christ is, even though he created them. And we're given example and example of that in the, throughout the scriptures. His own Jewish people. Jesus was Jewish. He came to them. And even though they saw him and they, they lived among him, they said, saw all the miraculous things he did, what did they do? They didn't welcome him. They didn't receive him as the Son of God, as the Messiah. They crucified him. So what's the point? Well, the point is simply this. We're so messed up, spiritually, we're so messed up that we need God's help in order to see who Christ really is. We need his help. You cannot work this out on your own, trust me. You you can't. You can't come to some conclusion spiritually on your own because you need spiritual eyes. You need someone to open your eyes Spiritually, you need someone to raise you from the spiritual dead. You need spiritual understanding. The problem is, you know what? You know, it takes us half of our physical lives here on earth to figure this out. And when we lived, you know, 30, 40 years and we messed everything up in our lives, and then finally God brings us to a point where we're just back on our, on our back, flat on our backs, and we're the only way to look is up, and we go, okay, I'm going to give Jesus my life. Think if you would have done it earlier. How much pain and suffering you would have alleviated from your life knowing that you're walking with Christ. That's why if you're a young person here today, I really command you, I, I, I point you to Christ. Look to Christ. You, know, you can look to your friends all day long, but they're not going to help you in the end. There's only one way of salvation, and that is through Christ. Read the Gospel of John. Ask a, God, to reveal his son to you. Show me my need of a savior if you don't feel you have a need. Ask, in the, in the Bible we have an individual who says, you know what, God help me in my unbelief. That's a legitimate prayer. I don't believe, I don't believe in Jesus, I'm not really religious, but you know what? Man, I, if this is right, Lord, show me. I mean, investigate it. Check it out for yourselves. 
Because you need spiritual understanding. You have to have a spiritual awakening in your hearts. And the Bible refers to that as being, what, born again. That's what it says in verse 13. You know, that's how we are, how we are born. It says, um, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, look, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of what? Of God. Of God. God wants to save you. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to bring your, your dead carcass to him and say, hey, I need some help here. And guess what he does? He transforms you. He gives you spiritual life. And for the first time, you're able to see life clearly. You're not cut up, caught up in all the, the, the games of the world anymore. You, you see clearly a line of demarcation between life and death between right and wrong, between light and darkness. So much easier to live that way rather than trying to live a life where you're constantly like walking on a, a tightrope, afraid you're going to offend somebody. I went to a high school football game Friday night, Jack's game actually. They lost, but he played pretty good. So <laughs> anyway, it was in Burlingame, and, and I went early, and I'm sitting in the stands, and I'm just watching some of these high school students walk in, you know. And I thought, wow, I remember those days. <laughs> you know, and, and you saw him, you know, the little crew comes in, you know, the guy, you know, he's walking. You know, he's got his little followers. And I just thought, man, they just think this is their world. This is, this is all that matters. And then a little later on, some girls marched in. You could tell they were just the, the, the A-team of that high school, you know, and they motioned to some of the girls, hey, you need to be with us, you know. And these poor four girls down in front of me, they were in conflict. It's like, well, do we get up and follow them? Or, or why don't they come and sit with us? Why do we have to go and sit with them? And then you can see them just talking, talking. And I thought, wow, yeah, they got so much to learn. You know, I mean, because you get to a point in life where you go, you know, I don't care what people think. I really don't. I care what God thinks. I care what my Lord and Savior thinks. I don't care if we have a big church or a small church. I just want to be faithful with teaching the word of God. He'll take care of the rest. He says so. I don't have to be worried about those things. So if you're here today and you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ, I pray that you would really, really, really consider it. Because it's not a, it's not a bad move. You could ask a majority of the people here today and they would say death. Definitely make that decision. Come to Christ. You know, you, you think that you're, you're, a lot of times people will say, you know, well, I don't want to give up control. And I just laugh and go, oh, you think you're in control? <laughs> wow, that's pretty crazy. I mean, your life could be over today. You're not in control of anything. God's in control. He wants you to know him. And because he is the creator, we should worship him as we see his handiwork all around us in what he made. Because if his life is in us, guess what? Our salvation is secure as believers. We don't have to go to bed at night worrying, oh, I wonder if I'll be saved tomorrow. No, he is our life. To know God, look to Jesus, the eternal word of God. Father, we thank you for these words today, Lord, that we've looked at in your word. And, and Father, you know who's here you know who's not ready to meet the living God if they were to die even right now. You know who is here today and has made even an insufficient claim. Um, 
But in reality, they haven't put their trust in you. They haven't trusted you. Lord, when we look at Christ, we see his character. We see the attributes. We see the power of God. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that right now that you would draw them to yourself, that you would show them their need of a Savior. Lord, whether we're young or old, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Lord, you know who's here. You know who needs you. Father, maybe they've heard the explanation of who you are, and, and maybe they even know that, well, it's only God can save our sins and forgive us, but I'll do it later. No, don't, don't wait. Don't wait. Help us today to confess you as our Lord and Savior with our mouth to say that, you know what? I confess you as Lord. I put my faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. I'm tired of living a dead life. I want to be awakened. I want to live a life that's worthy of you, my creator. I want to put my trust in Jesus for my salvation. Lord, I thank you for all you're going to do. We ask that you would bless our time as well across the way. And Father, we pray that you would bless the food for our bodies as we partake together. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's